Hello. Hello. I'm Matt. How's it going? Good. Great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. All right. Let's. We're stuck. We're using all our best material here. <laughs> that's, that's the funniest the thing I've ever heard you say, Ben. I was gonna say Ben literally did just use his best material. <laughs> hey guys, I'm sitting outside on the porch, and uh, I'm kind of close to a street, um, and there are cars that go up and down it occasionally. Um, unfortunately, my children are sleeping inside, and I don't have a garage with a Honda Fit in it, so. I hope uh, I hope this is okay. If not, I can go inside, and um, but I'd rather not. No, the sound is fine. This is okay, and actually, I have been recording this time, this whole time. So maybe we just use it. Uh, in which case, uh, I guess we can start talking about real things. Um, I should introduce the show first. Yes. This is episode seventy-five of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, he is Sam Miller, one of those two people you just heard is. Uh, And we mentioned at the start of this week that we would be trying to continue the the daily show format, but that in order to do that, when there is no baseball being played, uh, we would have to rely on some help from our friends and from you. Uh, Not that you are not our friends, you are also friends in in a way um and so that's what we're doing in this show uh so we are joined by matthew corey a baseball prospectus author and podcast host and over the monster blogger uh and writer uh, on many sites so thank you for joining us matthew matt thanks thanks ben uh Uh, so we have brought Matt on, uh, for one, because we like Matt and want to talk to Matt, but also we were prompted by a listener question, uh, from Alex who sent us uh, a question earlier today and said, with the free agency date only two days away and Ortiz still not signed by the Sox, he might hit the free agency market. What do you think are the chances that he does? The same situation happened last year, but then Boston offered him arbitration and eventually got him signed. Do you think he goes anywhere, or does he stay with Boston? Thanks. Uh, so we're going to talk this out, and we'll see if we can answer and uh, what we think about that. Um, recently, at least last week even, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that the Sox would bring Ortiz back and would extend him for two years. Um when I was writing an article about the probable candidates for a qualifying offer, I almost didn't include him because it seemed like it it was being reported that it was such a sure thing that he was about to sign. Uh, So I did include a note and said that it seems likely that he would sign an extension, but he could be a qualifying offer guy if that doesn't happen for some reason. And now it seems like there's a good chance that that could happen. The deadline, uh, or the the exclusive negotiating window, I guess, that the Sox have with Ortiz ends about 24 hours from right now as we're recording just after midnight on, on Friday morning. Um, and so something will happen. We'll have some sort of development soon. Uh, so I guess, Matt, do you want to speculate about what you think will happen in the next day or, or so and beyond? 
Um, sure. I, I can't believe we would have got this far without a deal if there was a deal to be had. So, you know, with, like you said, 24 hours to go, um, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of urgency. You know, I, I, I don't know who's, uh, whose side that lack of urgency falls or if it's both sides or whatever, but, um, but it, you would think that something would have been done if it were going to get done. Um, so my guess is that Ortiz goes on the market um, the Red Sox will give him a uh, qualifying offer, um, which is actually, I think, a step down from what he made last year Yeah. Um, by a little less than a million dollars. And they'll see, you know, what the market says about a 37-year-old designated hitter who, when he was healthy last year, was one of the best hitters in baseball. It's kind of interesting... Uh, <laughs> an interesting situation. Yeah, I was going to say that he... Uh... He really was when he was on the field, which was basically not at all in the second half. Um, but when One day, he, yeah. Yeah, but when he was healthy, uh, he had his most productive season ever on a, on a rate basis. He had a, his highest true average ever by just a point or two over his previous highs. But uh, he was really as, as productive as he had ever been. And really, if you, if you limit the plate appearance threshold to just what he had, which was a little less than 400. Uh, only Mike Trout, Buster Posey, and Joey Votto had higher true averages than he did. So, Yeah, he crushes uh, He crushes Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, MVP. crushes, MVP. Rel- relatively speaking. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but he did miss almost the entire second half with, uh, with an Achilles injury, and... I guess, I mean, do you think that he will ultimately be back, or what would you put the probability at, Matt? I would say it's a pretty high probability. I don't know, 80%, 85%. I mean, for one thing, it's going to cost a first-round draft pick um, to sign him Mm -hmm. um, for just about any team that would really want him. Um, So, you know, that's going to be a a, disincentive to, to give him a contract. He wants multiple years. Um, I think, you know, the, that's probably the sticking point, how much for the, you know, how much the Red Sox pay him over the, the second season is, is my guess of what the sticking point is on this contract. Um, so, you know, it, <laughs> I, I guess it's a, it's, I, I think still the best fit is with Boston. Um, but, you know, anytime a guy gets out on the free agent market, it's, it's entirely possible. I guess the Red Sox should be thankful the Dodgers are in the National League. <laughs> yes. Ortiz could could Ortiz play third? Um, shortstop only. He doesn't okay. he doesn't have the arm for third. <laughs> um, Matt, it seems to me um, from way out here and and only having sort of the um, the the national media take on um, on on Boston, it seems to me that um, generally people who play in Boston either uh, love it or they absolutely hate it and it's a prison and they can't wait to escape and it doesn't seem like um, those two categories are necessarily uh, mutually exclusive uh, there's there's a little bit of of, of uh, leaping from one one side to the other Ortiz was always the loved it uh, guy uh, as far as I could tell but last year was a pretty miserable year for everybody in the organization he um, of course uh, had that sort of uh, postseason feud with uh, with Bobby Valentine. I don't know if 
Bobby Valentine leaving makes that all go away. But um, it, it does seem like the sort of place where, um, like, on a long enough timeline, the probability of being uh, miserable in Boston, which is one, uh, is David Ortiz a do – you, do you get the feeling that David Ortiz is a happy Bostonian, or is there some tension in there? I, I think it's somewhere in between the two uh, sides that you've described. Wait a minute. You, <laughs> there is no between the two. <laughs> you, you said you said he's, you're either happy or, or you hate it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Not just say that? I, that's right. There is nothing between. You're either oh. deliriously joyful or you're you're oh, trapped okay. in it. Oh, I'm with you now. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he. Um, I mean, as we all know, he's horribly bipolar. So he he goes right from just completely freaking out, happy to just in the corner crying. I'm making all this up. Um, no, I, I I think I think Ortiz kind of has these these uh, moments over the course of the year when he gets sick of it. Um, I mean, it seems like just about every year there is some ridiculous something that comes up um, and Ortiz speaks out against it. Um, and whether it's, you know, player created or media created, I won't go there right now. But um, but Ortiz what, has has one or two moments each year, I would say, where where he gets kind of fishbowl mentality. Um, what are, can you can you give us some examples of those sorts of things in the past? Um. I think he spoke out against the. Uh, this was after the season, I guess, or or maybe towards the end of it last in 2011. Um, the whole, uh, you know, chicken and, and and beer thing that happened. Um, that's that's. I have never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's sort of an inside Boston kind of thing. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, then you know the, this season, like you mentioned with with Valentine, um, and you know the media, I think, sensed tension. Um, in the Red Sox clubhouse, you know, over the course of the year. And I think there were a lot of probing questions um, about that. And I think Ortiz got a little tired of that. Um, so th- those are the two things that, that spring to mind uh, immediately. But I, he, Can I, I interrupt real quick? Yeah, please. Sorry. Uh, he was super bad in 2008, the first half of 2008, and I believe the first half of, of 2009, like super, super, super bad. Yes. Um, and yet, uh, he sort of, uh, he came out of that and, and, you know, as, as we noted, he's, he's, he's once again, an elite hitter. Uh, ha- I just wonder how did sort of Boston treat him during that? Did that, is there any possibility that that, uh, experience built up goodwill if they were kind of particularly patient with him, uh, or perhaps they weren't particularly patient with him? My guess is it didn't build up any goodwill, but I don't know how much he carries with him. I mean, he he was like like you said, uh, you know, spectacularly awful for super bad, um, super bad for uh, I think it was one month, the, you know, the April to start off the year in uh, what did you say, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, and then uh, the following year he was bad for even longer, and it and it looked like it just if you watched the guy, it looked like he had no idea. He just he couldn't catch up to a fastball. He didn't he couldn't handle a breaking pitch. There was he, he was as hopeless as as a as I've ever seen a hitter look, and that that is something actually um, that has strengthened my uh, my belief in statistical analysis, <laughs> because watching him then and watching him now, there's it's a different person. Um, but I guess uh, you know everybody gets into into a rut. But I, to answer your question, um, he. 
I, I think didn't uh, probably didn't enjoy himself too much that time. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. the got on his case a little bit. The media definitely got on his case. Um, so yeah. It seems to me like this is kind of, I mean, it reminds me of the Jeter situation that the Yankees had a couple off seasons ago where a guy was coming off. Um, I mean, I guess Ortiz is coming off a more productive season than, than Jeter was, or at least when he was healthy. Um, but there was, I think the sense that something was going to get done because they were just, uh, a better fit for each other than any other team would have been. And not just in a comfort way, but in the sense that uh, Jeter is probably materially more valuable to the Yankees than he would be for any other team, just from a marketing sense and a merchandising sense and, and kind of more, I mean, those are tangible things that we don't always consider with free agents. And, I think the same thing probably applies to Ortiz and, and Boston and that he is sort of the face of the franchise and whatever benefit you get from having a guy like that, they get. Whereas if, say, the Indians were to sign him to DH for them, uh, he probably wouldn't bring the same kind of ancillary value. And so they might not be willing to pay him the same. So it seems to me like I don't know what the holdup has been in the negotiations and, and I don't think it I don't think Ortiz is entirely without leverage here but it seems to me like if Boston extends the qualifying offer and just lets him feel out the rest of the market as good as he was when he was healthy I kind of have a hard time imagining some other team wanting to pay a 37 year old DH coming off a a pretty serious injury uh, not only more than than the 13.3 million qualifying offer but also giving up the draft pick that they would have to give up to sign him so it seems to me like if he lets this go that far he could even possibly lose out on that that second year that he yeah could get it's it's kind of i mean it's not a perfect comparison because uh ortiz has has a few of these good years um uh recently but in 2010 jim tomey um was the DH for the Twins. He had 340 plate appearances, which is uh, about 40 fewer than Ortiz had this year. And he hit 283, 412, 627. He actually had an OPS plus 11 points higher than Ortiz. His OPS plus would have led all of baseball uh, this year and perhaps that year as well. And um, it's not as though there was a two-year $30 million contract waiting for him. I'm sort of scrolling down right now. He made... Three million dollars the next year on a one-year contract. Well, you got to feed your family. <laughs> and so that, and he was, uh, I mean, he was 40 at the time, and, and Ortiz is only going to be 37. But he also, uh, I mean, you know, the the numbers were really good. It, the fact is, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess Tommy was, uh, Tommy was certain to be a part-timer. Ortiz has been a full-timer up until this year. So, uh, like I said, it's not a perfect comparison, but I don't know. Two years and 30 million dollars, which is kind of the public. Uh, the bar that has been set by Ortiz Camp, uh, it does seem like he could get out there and and realize that there's nothing approaching that. I I think you're right, um, Sam. Uh, I'm what, just what? saying what Ben just said. I I literally just rephrased it and said almost exactly. Well, I and I totally bought it too. I was like totally giving you credit for it. Like, well done. That was that was nicely thought out. Um, but this guy Ben isn't bringing anything to the table though. 
no, I was I was gonna bring up one little thing. I I I haven't I don't have uh, Tommy's split in front of me, but my sense is that he doesn't hit lefties particularly well. Um, over the last two years, Ortiz has improved against lefties a lot. Um, in 2011, I think he actually had a reverse split, um, and he hit lefties better than he hit righties. And it kind of came out of nowhere. He he wasn't hitting lefties really at all before that. Um, and and this, this year, he hit lefties almost as well as he hit righties, um, which is to say really, really well. Um, so I uh, – but actually, and, and we talked before uh, – a couple minutes ago about about the uh, the rough starts he had and that was in 2009 and 2010 he had a 623 ops in april of 2009 and then in 2010 he had a 524 ops in april there we go and he had what one home run in the first two and a half months or something in 2009 right something like that yeah I wrote an article about how he turned himself around, or at least how I speculated that he did, and I almost completely forget my conclusions, but I'm sure yeah, they I were... Yeah, I did too. I was thinking <laughs> about sure. that. So it sure was a were... though. I remember that. Yeah, it was very insightful. I don't remember any of the insights, but um, I, I mean, he lost weight, certainly. He got a lot thinner, and there I think... There was a lot made in the media about, about him working out and yeah, getting and... into shape in the offseason. Yeah, and he, I think he... He wanted to get more plate appearances in spring training, and I think I at least convinced myself that I had detected some changes in his stance at the plate and his leg kick and that sort of thing. So uh, it seemed like he did do some things differently. It wasn't just entirely um, inexplicable, or at least there were kind of narratives that we could impose to explain it. I, I think he definitely did some different stuff. I, I guess I don't, and I, you know, obviously, <laughs> we've, as we've discussed, none of us remember the article. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. He dialed back his swing rate. He got somehow he got much better on fastballs over 93 miles an hour, and he did. Uh, he's he's much more upright and a little bit more of a closed stance. I'm okay. not sure why. Oh, and he's also slimmer. He lost 17 pounds, and it's visible to the eye. Yes, he, he was definitely slimmer. Oh, and also uh, much, actually, surprisingly, a much bigger leg kick now as well. Ah, that was it. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to make the point that anyone who hit like he hit before would probably try to make changes. So just the <laughs> fact true. that he tried That's to make changes. That's a very changes. good point. Yes. <laughs> uh, Matt, can I ask you a uh, kind of a more uh, a broader question about the Red Sox? Sure. Um, and I uh, forgive me if this reveals my ignorance. Uh, the answer to this might be obvious to everybody else, but uh, they dumped like sixty million dollars worth of contracts on the Dodgers. They dumped uh, Euclid's thirteen million dollars as well. Cody Ross is a free agent, uh, so they should have something like seventy-five or eighty million dollars without even including David Ortiz. Obviously, there are raises, there's arbitration, but why shouldn't I be predicting that they are going to sign Granke and Hamilton and anybody else that they want to this offseason? Uh, I think they should sign Granke, but um, but I, I think the reason you wouldn't predict it is is because of uh, the at least the perception that that the contracts that they handed out over the last. I'd say three years, roughly, um, the long-term contracts were, were failures. Now, I'd, I'm not going that that far. I wouldn't characterize it that way, but I think a lot of people would. Um, now, and I don't know if the Red Sox are um, or would, would use that word, but I think that they're going to be a little reticent to turn right around after after handing all those contracts to the Dodgers. 
um, to turn right around and, and give a big contract to to a free agent. Um, which, you know, again, I don't think it's necessarily a, uh, a condemnation of, of big contracts per se. I think you have to be, you know, judicious about who you give them to. Um, so, yeah, I, I wrote a piece about that over at Over the Monster, so which I, Mark would kill me if I didn't. But, I mean, if you're the Red Sox, you kind of have to get back on the horse free agent-wise, right? I mean, even if you Yeah, what, had, other, what other choices yeah, I mean, is if, there? If you're the Red well, Sox, you have a lot of money— Eventually, yeah. you're going to have to start signing some people. You can't just be so shell-shocked by Lackey or Crawford or whoever else that you never do it again. I agree. They had, I, and, they had, a, they had $175 million payroll in 2012. You can answer whatever Ben just said, but at the end of it, <laughs> I, I'm curious what, what you think their payroll will be in, in, in 2013. Uh, I think it's going to be somewhere around 100 to 100, probably $120 million, somewhere around Oh, wow. There. Goodness gracious. Maybe uh, maybe a hundred. I don't know. It, it depends on. I, I mean, I don't have a great read, and I don't think anyone really does on on what the front office thinks that the current the guys who would suit up right now, of which there's not a full team, but um, but what those guys are capable of. I mean, part of the reason the Red Sox had such a horrific season last year was that they, you know, they, they had a bunch of injuries and they had a bunch of guys who were supposed to be really good play really badly, um, and then at the end they they traded everybody and people got hurt and things just went way downhill from there. But, um, so I don't, I don't know what, you know, what the perception is, what they're expecting. I mean, if they're expecting, um, you know, Buckholtz and Lester to be, you know, number twos, number ones, whatever, um, and, and lead the rotation, then maybe you do go out and you get, you know, you get a Granky to supplement that, or, you know, you, you make a big trade or, or something like that. But, but if they think that the, the cabinet is, is bare, so to speak, you know, then then maybe there's no sense in, in throwing a whole bunch of money at it, and you just wait for a bunch of the guys that they have in the farm system to develop and and come up and you know create the nucleus of the next great Red Sox team. Hmm. But come on, I mean they're the Red Sox. <laughs> I mean, I really I don't mean that. I mean I don't mean that to be flip. I mean there are certain teams that maybe the Reds aren't one of those teams, but there are certain teams that just can't be seen rebuilding. That that's not that's not how they market themselves. They're big market teams and it might be prudent to step back but you have to do it sort of seamlessly and without anybody noticing and it's hard to imagine that the Red Sox are just going to uh, allow a three cycle of winning 70 some games uh, yeah I mean I, I understand that um, and I, I think I think with the guys that they have right now they are a much better team if, if they have a, a decent run of health this year they're a much better team than they were last year just straight away um, without any additions or subtractions. So I, I, I think um, I don't think you necessarily need to go out there and you know and buy up a whole bunch of uh, free agents to to get a better team next year. I, I think just just by putting the same guys on the field, you're gonna already have a better team. Um, at least better results. So but um, yeah, I mean, we, again, I don't know I don't know what the Red Sox front office is thinking. Um, I would be surprised if they went out and and signed Granky. Um, I would be surprised if they were ever interested in Hamilton at all. Um, right. But I, I would be, too, from a sort of uh, cultural perspective. But on the other hand, I, they, <laughs> also cut, they also cut they also cut Dice contract, right? So, I mean, we're talking about a lot of money on a pretty mediocre free agency class. Dice's so contract was, gonna... was $8 million a year. I mean, they, they dropped $60 million on the posting fee, but that was gone the second they signed him. So. Uh-huh. Uh, 
the uh, you know the per year cost of dice game was just eight. Okay, well, uh, great. Um, now we know. Now Ben, now we know everything about the Red Sox, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do more than we did before, certainly. Uh, so thank you for joining us, Matt. And we are done for the week. We'll be back with episode seventy-six on Monday.